Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Lawrence Ampofo. Lawrence has been at the forefront of shaping the global discussion on ethical tech, responsible tech and digital well-being for almost 10 years. Think Social Dilemma, if anyone's seen that on um, Netflix. He's a founder and CEO of Digital Mindfulness, a digital innovation company that provides research and advisory focusing on ethical and responsible digital transformation. He's also a fellow podcaster and public speaker. Welcome, Lawrence. How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm really well. Thank you. Fascinating subject. I've got two. Um, I've got two boys who are nine and fourteen who need some digital mindfulness at the moment in the middle of lockdown. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. It's driving me bonkers. All their gaming and uh, online. So I'm, I'm sure that's far, far from what you do. So could you tell us a little bit about your consultancy and what you do, Lawrence? Sure. Thank you so much. So, um, so digital mindfulness. What we really, what I'm really concerned with at the moment is. Not so much that, you know, there's a lot of talk just now um, and a lot of techno-optimism about digitization. Everybody's talking about, say, you know, how, you know, AI is here, how can we implement it? Um, and I think also um, just with the way that we've been forced to live over the last um, of the last 12 months, at least, um, there's been a greater move towards, you know, digitization, streaming, etc. What I'm mostly concerned with is, how do we digitize in a responsible and an ethical way? Um, and that's that's a really interesting question, particularly when you start to look at different companies, look at different industry verticals, um, because um, the answer to that question is not altogether clear. You can't just say to people, okay, you know, we'll put your, put your devices down or, you know, or we should have more humans in the loop there. So, you know, to check what's going out is correct. Um, it's a really creative and um, intellectual problem. It's a it's a governance problem. It's a financial problem. So you've really got to have a view on lots of different you know it's lots of different moving parts. But that's the those sorry that's the um, the space that I that I currently work in. And so um, so yeah, it's it's taken a long time to get here. If I'm honest with you, um, certainly there were no frameworks when I started. And um, and I think this was seen as very much um, a soft topic, but now I think we're getting into the phase where companies are being judged a lot by their ESG goals. Um, I think people also really want to, um, they really want tech, tech digital tools and digitization in a way that um, supports them in being who they want to be rather than being driven by the needs of um, shareholders and businesses. So yeah, that's that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. So what is an ESG goal? Everybody else might know, but I've no idea. <laughs> there I go. There I go. Using acronyms immediately. Sorry, <laughs> that's <everyone>. okay. <laughs> so um, so yeah. So ESG that stands for environmental and social goals. Right. And um, and I think what's really interesting about that, you know, it's it's you can see the roots of that acronym and that way of thinking that how that came from say. Um, um, the corporate social responsibility mm. movement, say from the late '90s, and what we're seeing now is that um, a lot of companies, um, even Boris Johnson mentioned it recently in how we build back better. But we're, re- but companies are really focused on now. Okay, what are our environment, our, our environmental, social, and social goals? 
going forward. Um, we're finding that people want to buy from and interact with companies um, that are socially responsible, that are environmentally responsible. Um, and the same with the government as well. We're finding also that it's better for society, but it also is better um, from a financial perspective. So, yeah, ESG. So very, just being very, very literal, hands-on about that, is do, do we actually mean then that, you know, brands have got a responsibility to limit our time as human beings within the digital world and actually look at, our physical well-being, our physical experience. So, you know, I, I had a horror moment about two weeks ago um, on a Saturday and I was reading, but I realised that um, I've got a Kindle on my a phone. I'd realised I'd been on my phone for five hours. I, I literally, like, you know, I thought my life was flashing away in front of my eyes because of that. But is that what you mean by that? Is that means that brands have to almost take responsibility for a I hate the word addiction, but, but you know, creating this addiction, it's a bit like a, you know, gambling or stuff. We're, we're getting addicted te to technology, which can't be good for our brains. It's a, it's a really interesting question, actually, that whole question of responsibility, because where, where does the responsibility lie? You know, does, does it rely with that? Does it stay with the company? Um, are they responsible for keeping us um, hooked, as it were? Or is it the responsibility, you know, do, do people have more agency? And I think the truth, um, depending on what context you're talking about, generally, it, it generally tends to sit in the middle. So um, you find that companies would say tend to lean on regulation and um, governance practices to say, okay, you know, well, in general, we don't do this and we don't, you know, we don't do that. But um, I think what you're starting to see much more because people, as you mentioned, we use our phones to read, we use our phones to do gaming, to keep in touch with people for, for pretty much everything. Um, I think what you're finding now is that um, when people push back and they, and they demand that the tools that they use support them in who they want to be um, as people and as members of society, as citizens. Um, if the tools don't do that, then they'll go somewhere else. And a really quick example I can give of that is um, the update by, um, by WhatsApp. Um, the update that happened in January, you know, it was going to, WhatsApp was going to update and they were going to say, right, you know, we're going to be more closely aligned with Facebook. So, you know, and the, and the idea the idea that people had in general was that people, you know, Facebook and WhatsApp, that data was going to be much more closely aligned. And what actually came through from that is that people started to migrate more to the privacy focused um, 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 apps, messaging apps um, like Telegram and Signal. And that was a, and, and again, what was really clear from that, not so much in the, the haphazard way that 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 update was handled, but I think it just really signaled that people don't want their um, their conversations monitored. They don't want them to be repurposed for um, advertising and and hyper market and hyper targeting purposes. And and I think then what that's what you're seeing now with with you, as you mentioned with regards to things like the overuse of technology, and um, people are starting to to push back and give that feedback. 
back to the um, to the designers. So um, it's an interesting balance and it's an interesting tension that exists between the companies and and the people that ultimately use the, the products. So when you sort of work with brands, you know, and you're thinking about digital wellness, how do you feel? Do you, you know, create workshops? Do you challenge them? Do you set perimeters, guidelines? You know, how does your service sort of tangibly help people or ultimately you know customers and brands and businesses oh thank you so much um I, I think it's really changed over time and um i think the way the way that i started was i was very interested in um, um essentially giving oxygen to the community so um, who are the interesting companies out there and basically focusing on education so how what's the best way to um to funnel people to the best tools and the best services and i think now the the thing that i'm much more focused on is because there's so much engaged there's so much content and so much engagement out there i'm really interested in um in um, education in um, things like curation using the technology better and asking better questions of the technology um, asking better questions and finding better solutions. So one of the things that we do is um, almost taking the think tank model. So um, so working with with companies. Into, so one of the things we're working with, for example, is um, is a big media company. Like how do you produce big media content? Um, um, if your if your metric in the past was always um, eyeballs, it was always the, the Nielsen rating. So how many people were watching this? It's a little bit irresponsible now to have such a metric, particularly if you say if you're a giant like Netflix or if you're a smaller channel. Um, and again, that's one of the key metrics of, of YouTube for a content creator: just minutes watched, and that shows then just how sticky your content was. But if on the long run you're spending hours and hours and hours on your phone or watching YouTube, that doesn't really relate well to people's well-being so what's what we're um, so one of the things that we're working on for example is the whole thing of um, human values so what are um, and that's a really fascinating question right that leads back into digital well-being so what do people really value when they're watching when they're consuming visual content and then how do you design for that so we give people what they what they need whether that's maybe breaks time off or better experiences or and it's um, and it's really fascinating. It's not an easy question to answer, but those um, those think tank moments and almost the um, um, really working together with other human beings to to really decide to level up the discussion um, on digital well being. Those are the things I'm really trying to do. Do you think that brands are thinking enough about digital well being? Is that become a hot topic? I think. I think so. I think so. And then almost if you pan out just a little bit and you start to, if we think of digital well-being as um, um, almost like providing um, the best possible human or humane experience with digital technologies, when you pan out you're, and look at the overall ecosystem, you're starting to see people talking about ethics. You start to see talk, people talking about responsibility um, with technology. And that's a really fascinating space that I think brands are start, they're just starting now to think about because, um, because now, thankfully, there are, um, there are really um, robust frameworks, not just technical, but um, socio-technical frameworks that have been put in place that brands can work towards because it I think it's one thing to think okay this is what we should be doing but I think if you're a busy brand one of the you need to be thinking about okay how do we do this and also how does this fit into our roadmap and also how does this best go into um, affect 
or impacts our customers. And so one is what's really interesting is that in the UK, there are lots of different centres, academic centres and also industry centres that are springing up um, to answer this very this very question. And so that interplay between um, knowledge creation and then operationalizing, we're finding that the UK is really starting to think now about the best ways they can do this. Because of course, if your, con- if your customers feel good, if your key stakeholders feel good using this technology, they'll stay with you for a really long time. They will, um, they will buy more, they will engage more. And of course, they'll, um, they'll push out you know, the brand awareness just increases massively. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I'm afraid to say my my nine-year-old was on technology and said a word that wasn't acceptable and then got locked out for 24 hours of the programme. And I thought, you know, great. You know, I know I've got to, I, you know, I can't sit on his shoulder. What I'd really like to see as well is a maximum hour of gameage. I know that's my responsibility as a parent, but after two hours, that's it, boom, shut down, you, you're out. And that's... You know, it's not Big Brother. It's sort of like trying to be ethical and helping parents. So I suppose what I'm really interested in is what do you think your boldest business idea is today? Um, there are a couple of them. Um, I, I, I would say that, that, are, that are bold ideas. So um, so I think the, the first one was... Um, so I, th- I think in terms of... Edu- so, so one, so one of the things I, I very much focus on is, is education. That's one of the things that, that, that really, really drives the company. And, and I think for me, one of the big things, one of the bold things that, that I've had is less focusing less on, advert, on almost like advertorials. So when people would come onto the podcast, when people would come to our events, I really wanted the people speaking to focus on, on solving a problem. And really giving and and maybe this this sounds a little bit trite and not so very bold, but um, I think when you're when you're in these situations, you're really driven by. Um, I didn't want to be so much driven by. I wanted to be driven much more by the needs of people. And when we did that, when we really started to focus on, okay, your book is out and that's fine, but people are really going through this and your new product is out. People people really are folk, people have trouble going to sleep at night they have real trouble people have trouble putting their phones down um this digital people really have problems i think with them um, with their loved ones and digital well-being so how are you thinking about this what dots are you joining up and um it wasn't so much an interrogation but it really became this um, um very collaborative very um value focused thing and that was the thing that for me um really helped in um creating a lot of value um and it's something that has been remarked to me, remarked to me as well. Um, I think also in terms of um, um, business value, the thing that the thing that really um, that has really helped is um, the operationalizing of this. So that kind of drawing that clear line between theory, because you know a lot of emerging technologies. A lot of these frameworks, when we talk about what should happen, you know, responsibility and ethics, um, it tends to stay in, you know, it tends to be people talking to each other, tends to be a lot of navel gazing. So the thing that I would say um, has been really bold is um, operationalizing. So it's like, okay, how do we ground this? How do we make this um, 
for example, if we're talking to um, busy um, executive assistants who have to be essentially on call 24-7, how do you build in um, digital well-being from that perspective? Who do you need to talk to to make to make that happen? What kind of change process? And I think that was really that was really transformative. And for me, and I guess for me, it was definitely bold. It was something that I was that really drove me. But getting feedback from people, and once they can start to see that, okay, you're not just talking about this as a concept, but you're really thinking how this fits into my everyday life. Um, those would probably be the the two big things that. Um, yeah, I've been bold in my business. I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, if you map my unsupervised, you know, 14-year-old's day, I think, I think you know, tech companies would be pretty horrified. If I left him alone literally for 16 hours, he would sit there glued. He would just go to the toilet, come back, wouldn't even eat. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, when you map the effect that that tech is having, it's deeply concerning for people. You know, whereas actually if you then said, right, part of our digital mindfulness is to look at that day, look at that journey and see how we as a brand and business can help with that. Absolutely. I'm being very literal. I'm being very literal. I'm applying it to my sort of like my own life to understand it. But that customer or that people journey and that people lifestyle is really important to get to grips with, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely so. And and I think, you know, I, um, I think from um, perhaps from, from your perspective, um, sometimes it does help to think about it in a different way so you know that's something I guess that's come back that's come back to me that you know we don't need to be so critical of technology because with gaming for example um, kids are learning all kinds of incredibly useful skills particularly in lockdown so things like perseverance and problem solving and collaboration when they start to go online but I think also from the same token there is that also there is that um is, this, is it healthy to be spending that much time? And even just, even for us as well, you know, we're in front of screens constantly, you know, so, um, but because this forms the backbone of our society, everyone works in some form or another with a computer. How can we make that experience better um, and more healthful um, and just create, start to create a, a virtuous circle? Um, between us and these different products. I think that's really important. And I think once you come out to the, once you, once you start thinking at the brand level, it just makes a lot of sense. If I, if, you know, if, for example, with, um, um, with your children, as you were mentioning, if the association was, you know, like, gosh, every time they play this certain type of game, they're just on it constantly. So um, actually, do you know what? This is not something you know, I'm, I'm kind of feel, I feel like I'm going to I feel warded away from that. You, you know, I think that is not good. That's not good from the game developers perspective. It's not good from the company. It's not good for the video game industry as a whole. So then the discussion then about, OK, how do we you know, what's the difference between stickiness and Obsession. real purposeful yeah. engagement right mm. you know there's there's a difference right you know should we be should we be including things like loot boxes mm. so that kids can just spend money like mm. real money willy-nilly on there mm. um and then also i think but bring in um bring in um bigger groups of people into this discussion so that there is you know that the whole lego way of co-creation like how do we work together so that this is good for everybody um i think that's been incredibly useful so um absolutely i think mm. you're right and um that use case is is replete 
<laughs> no, I think it's fascinating. And, and you know, what? I, I look at those films like Minority Report and I think, geez, if we're going to be like uh, um, bombarded with advertising like that, we're all going to go bonkers. And I know that, yeah. you know, my kids, it's interesting there, you know, they can just flick on the advertising content. So, you know, to brands these days, you know, piping out millions and millions of pounds worth of incredibly dull advertising content up your game or you just just not or even just switch it off it's exhausting so how do you see that changing in the face of our maturing relationship with tech and the spread of ai and other things you know it's it's a difficult one isn't it we've not yet managed to to almost um find a different way around the advertising model um other than for example say i I guess we've got subscriptions uh, you know Interestingly, a few, a few years ago, um, I would say about 2017, we did a um, big piece of research um, around the, um, and it really kind of focused on the perceived decline of the advertising model and what was coming up to take its place. So if, for example, you have subscriptions, you can just do away with the, adver- the advertising, you get what you want really quickly, or, you, you know, and then you can go off and do your own thing. Um, I think our relationship, I think it, really taps into the wider human relationship with technology. Um, And that's not monolithic. Of course, there are lots of different relationships humans have with technology, but I think it is changing. Um, I think it very much so is changing. We've been, in the last 12 months, we've been, um, I would say, forced to um, have a much closer relationship with technology. But what we're finding is that it is changing. So for example, technology is becoming much more ambient, for example. So being able to control tech with your voice, um, with things like gestures, um, that's part of the digital well-being stack, which is which is fascinating. Um, kind of again talking and talking with the Google team about this, about using gestures. So for example, just turning your phone over as a gesture that I don't want to be disturbed. And um, designers learning these different cues and being able to design them into the technology so that you know humans we don't want to be available 24 7. Um, I think almost designing for our changing relationships with technology that's going to be something that really becomes incredibly important but then also I think designing for responsibility as well um, that's something that hasn't really been done in the past we're seeing bigger companies start to actually build out departments, real departments to do this. Um, So for example, um, companies like BP, Facebook, um, goodness gracious, Microsoft, um, HSBC, they're starting to build out digital ethics and responsible innovation departments because you can't, because what we're seeing is that these technologies now where we're we're trying, um, I guess the mantra has been for so long um, to outsource, outsource decision making so with ai ai is such a wonderful thing it's going to make so you know it will be able to decide on loan acceptances and mortgages and um you know healthcare premiums etc once we start to do that it there are all kinds of problems that can um that can potentially emerge um so i think then with regards to that there's a lot of really deep thinking that needs to go on um, again, not just at the technical level, but I think also at the human level, like understanding um, how are humans changing? What do we actually, not some, what do we need, but what do we want from our technology? Um, um, I think that's that's incredibly important. So, and that is changing and it's a moving target. It's, it's incredibly exciting to be a part of. So I've got to ask you this question. And it's not, um, <laughs> it's something that, that popped into my head then. Um, 
Have you ever been to Secret Cinema? I have, yes. Okay, right. So I went to see um, a really great one uh, last year. And when you walk in, it's obviously, you know, we've got these amazing film sets and stuff like that. Um, you had to drop your phone in a locker before you went in. So obviously there's two things behind that. Is One is you can't take any photographs. But two, you can't use your phone for three hours. And you know what? It was a relief. We put our phones in these little things. Everyone was panicking. Oh, my God, I've not got my phone for like, you know, two or three hours. And But you went into this immersive sort of world where obviously you watch the movie, you know, you, you had at the food and all sort of stuff like that. So I want to ask you, what's going to happen with physical? You know, where's all this going? Because I'm really missing physical. And how do physical yeah. and digital sort of really link up? Mm, I th <clears throat> physical and digital is, um, it's, it's fascinating. I had, I, had a, I had a discussion about this um, a long time ago that um, human contact and in-person experiences are going to become incredibly important um and i think again just with you know the way we've been forced to live so far it's going to be so much more important the device free almost being device free for a period of time um i think is um, um something that's going to increase a lot um so there'll be almost like there'll be um um, um experiences at the edge right so at, at, at one side you know, and from one side, of course, we're going to have our cameras with us. There are going to be, um, I think, in-person events where, you know, it's um, they're almost set up to have phones or they're set up to be digitized, which is which is fine. And I think there's a bit they've been around for a while. But um, I think also I'm starting to talk a lot more to people that are providing device free experiences. So, for example, hotels um, really focused on, say, busy, just busy people who are traveling around. Um, they're, they're providing device-free experiences and it's fascinating. It's fascinating the um, effect that that's having on customer retention, customer engagement, um, finding, for example, um, 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 gosh, what am I? So things like education as well, where the devices are actually put away and the emphasis is much more on the children interacting. Um, that's incredibly interesting. But I also think that, um, again, just our understanding of the, I hate to use the word optimal, but the best ways for humans and the technology to interact in a way that's almost that's ambient, that doesn't distract us, that doesn't take our gaze away from the most important thing, which are our human relationships. But actually, technology just supports all of that. I think that's incredibly interesting. So um, the developments, and again, happy, happy to talk about this for ages, but the developments around, say, um, um, augmented reality, that's really interesting. So the technology, it comes when it's needed, that it disappears when it doesn't have to. Um, that was the dream of, that was Mark Weiser's dream. Mark, Mark Weiser was, um, um, he's not here now, unfortunately, but he was one of the pioneers from Xerox Park um, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And one of the papers that he wrote was about exactly this, that um, we're getting, in the 90s, he was saying, we're getting computing wrong when we think that it's got to be in front of us and distract us from what we're really doing. Actually, technology should be something that you know supports humanity, and it should be in the background and a little bit like a kettle. You know, a kettle doesn't distract us. It's there. It's there when, it, when we need it, and it's not there when we don't need it. And yeah, so that's what I think will happen. I love that. Have you ever seen that um, cartoon um, Wally? 
Wally. Oh, 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 you know, the bit where they're sort of all sitting in the spaceship looking at the screens. I feel like we're in, I feel like we're there. I feel like we are absolutely <laughs> in that sort of cartoon at the moment. And all we need is a plant to grow next to us or the something, you know, and suddenly we'll all realise that nature's out there. And um, I think it's, yeah, you're right, that sort of whole, I, I love the idea of it being sort of like integratedly seamless not like a you know an absolute blocker. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely fascinating, and and I love your ideas around the hotels and you know digital detoxing and, and actually having permission to do it because if you don't go back to someone within four minutes, they you know where are they? Even my mom's now doing it. <laughs> so um, you know that's absolutely you know brilliant. I, I love all that sort of stuff. So. You know, just back to, I'm just going to ask you um, a bit more of a personal question. So what's a doctorate about, doctor? Go on, doctor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, gosh. So I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> you should be. You should be. It's amazing. No. Um, lots of people, um, so people sometimes ask me, and I think they're put off by the length of time it takes to get your um, your doctorate in whatever, you know, medical doctorate or PhD. But it's the most yeah, if you're intellectually minded, it's the best thing you can do. It's like it's like a little business and you get to read and contribute to to the field. It's fabulous. Anyway, so my PhD. Um, so it's in um politics and international relations, um, funnily enough. And um, so I started that um I remember pitching for it in 2006. Um I um I really pitched on what the interrelationship was between um um internet like, like political movements but also how um digital technology how social media basically influenced that and of course that's not even a question nowadays you would never get away with doing that at any institution but in 2006 um when i started youtube was about a year old um there was no twitter um we were just i was leaning my my hypothesis. so i was i my hypothesis was, oh, I think social media has an influence on political behavior. And, <laughs> and I was leaning brilliant. on things like, mess- I know, hilarious. <laughs> so like, I was leaning on like message boards and things. And, and basically then I just had the time to explore that, but yeah. also just track these different um, digital ways. So the I- we, there wasn't an iPhone. Oh, God, that sounds so old, but there was no iPhone. <laughs> there were no smartphones whatsoever. So, um, but that was really interesting seeing how things like um, SMS could be used to coordinate groups of people and then as things went on and you know the Obama administration came in and using hyper targeting for political campaigning that's where um that's where I got to but I think when you start looking at political behavior it's really negative it's um if you if you're in that day in day out um it can become quite um quite a drag and so I started then that's why I built digital mindfulness I just started to think okay how can technology be used to positively um, influence humanity and I haven't stopped yeah I mean it's you're actually you know really ahead of your time you know what what year did you come up with that in digital mindfulness that was gosh started that in 2013 wow yeah and now we're literally like everyone's crying for it please be more digitally <laughs> minded oh my god that's crazy no that is absolutely brilliant well listen thanks Lawrence for your time today and thank you for listening to Bold Thinking Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told you can find more links about what we discussed in the show notes including Lawrence's consultancy digital mindfulness and his own podcast which makes for fascinating listening 
If this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram or contact us at hello at thehonestbrand.com. And join me next time to hear from someone else who's making positive change in the world. Thank you, Lawrence. <laughs>